1: Good morning, Scott. Morning, Mitch. Look at you morning, two guys. looking
2: all dapper this morning.
1: There you go. So we've talked a lot about inflation and affordability, interest rates and such, and you know how the Bank of Canada is keeping interest rates high until inflation gets under control. But we're seeing great numbers out of the United States where their inflation rate is, uh fallen to about 3.2%. Uh, how does that affect us? That has to be good news.
2: It's... Uh... Excellent news! It's uh, kind of those things we've been waiting for. Is and the U.S. has been a little more sticky than Canadians. Uh, You know, there's a few reasons, but uh, the consumer was still spending money, um, and they also have like 30-year mortgages, so they really they had no mortgages really coming due compared to the Canadians that have you know lock up their money for variable rate mortgages would be the worst case, and five-year mortgages um, would be kind of the best case scenario. So you you know right away back on on Tuesday this announcement came in and and the markets went up based on this and you know the bond yields they would start to drop which means bond prices start to go up so you know for all that money sitting in cash it all looks good earning 5% until it doesn't okay <laughs> and because all of a sudden, you know, the, the market starts to go up, and if those that, that yield on a say a treasury bill or a money market fund start, can easily go down quite quickly, too. And so then you're trying to play catch up. So again, it comes back down to having a, a financial plan and not trying to guess the markets because nobody saw this coming. If we saw this coming, the markets wouldn't have reacted so quickly. So it is, it's, it's always amazing. Um, and it's also how quick the sentiment comes from being optimistic to pessimistic and that by the way is just simply the stock market in general it can go both ends of the spectrum so the day-to-day activities can be you know drive you crazy basically but from uh, going back to uh, inflation rates yeah 3.2 down from 3.7 if you go back to its higher days it wasn't long ago uh you know it's eight over eight percent in the us so you can see it's it's practically back to where it was Um, we're only talking a percent difference so what this means They likely will not increase interest rates. And uh, it also means maybe they'll start decreasing them sooner than later, which helps everybody, particularly first-time homebuyers. And I know Mitch is going to talk about that.
3: Yeah, thanks for the good segue there. The uh, cost of living in Canada rose rapidly in 2022, as we all know. Uh, 2023, it still rose, but comparatively uh, slower than 2022. They didn't raise interest rates. As much as they did in 2022 because inflation was coming down as you just mentioned and i know many people around my age that feel like it's going to be impossible to buy a first home they they personally they they feel like they're gonna rent forever and with the housing prices the way they've gone it's certainly understandable to feel this way if you look at the last few years um, you're seeing in COVID that they're rising rapidly having massive bidding wars and People are going to have to put massive down payments. But now if you look at houses in Burlington, Hamilton, Oakville and Waterdown in 2023, many of those areas are down about 10 to 30 percent from those highs. And it's not just the price of how much it's down as well. You're also seeing that condos and houses that would have sold very quickly, they're now sitting on the market for, for many months and constantly lowering their prices trying to sell. But this market it's not really price dependent. So realtors are actually having to find the right buyer now and they're not having a bidding war of anyone lining up at all. So people who are first time home buyers potentially are in a in a relatively decent spot right now in terms of getting that down payment <laughs> um, versus having that massive down payment during those COVID years and having lower mortgage payments. So they're able to get that down payment a little bit easier now, but those mortgage rates might be around 6 to 7% versus people that were locking in or hopefully they were locking in. Many did not, unfortunately, but they are able to get 2% back, back during COVID. But one way that the government's assisting with these first-time homebuyers is by they extended the first-time homebuyer incentive. So they extended this until 2025. And this is an incentive that it shared an equity mortgage with the government of Canada uh, there, that lends 5 to 10% towards a first-time homebuyer purchase of a home. So the percent you get is going to depend on the home you buy. And then when you when you pay back the percent of the value of the home you sell it, they basically take a share in the upside, uh, as well as the potential downside. So if people did go into this uh, during COVID and it came down 20 or 30% and you were forced to sell, the government is sharing in that downside as well. So they are extending that incentive for first-time homebuyers until 2025. Uh, number two is the first-time homebuyers tax credit. So officially known as the homebuyers amount, It used to be $5,000 a non-refundable income tax credit on a qualifying home purchase, but they did increase it in 2022 to $10,000 as of January 1st, 2022. So it's just nice that they did double it as the housing prices did raise drastically. And I'm not too sure when the $5,000 was set. Uh, maybe maybe Don, maybe you knew about when that started. Yeah. No, I actually, I don't know exactly when
2: that was set. And I'm 10,000 is nothing to sneeze at. And there's no end date for this
3: 10,000, Mitch? No, no. This It used to be 5,000 uh, that you got this tax credit. And this 10,000 is the new amount, which I was just curious if you knew when it started. Because if it, inflation's outpaced, that, if that rise or not over the many years, because I know some programs, uh, they're not really keeping up with the cost of things, such as the, uh, the RSP homebuyers or maybe potentially the RESP grant, uh, is another one that just doesn't seem to be keeping up, uh, as well as the, uh, the tax brackets, as well, not increasing the higher tax brackets.
2: Yes. And, and you know what? Uh, I don't believe it's been around that long. So it has okay. been there's all these different ways p- they've tried to incentivize uh, the you know first time home buyer, make it easier. It, it's just, you know, uh, there's a bit of a loss of supply and demand. And right now uh, it is, like you mentioned, a buyer's market. Uh, we haven't been able to see that for a long time. And, and buyers can be picky, but. That could end very soon, just as I talked about earlier with interest rates. All of a sudden, you see a bit of a downturn in interest rates. That could turn just as, not quite as quick. Stocks act immediately. And it takes a while for that to happen to real estate. But you know, six months down the road, it could turn right back to a seller's market again. You never know.
3: Yeah, 100%. I, I completely agree. And I know real estate does lag the stock market in many ways, like you mentioned. So, But when you do see all these people sitting on the sidelines, maybe, maybe first-time homebuyers, Uh, and they're seeing interest rates maybe pausing once you see a bunch of pauses you might see people able to jump into the market and like you mentioned people are able to be picky about what they want i know people who come check out a condo and they wouldn't care if there was a concierge in the lobby but now all of a sudden oh there's no concierge (laughs) oh i'll go check out 10 more there's no worries like there's no bidding war right so it's definitely a buyer's market right now it's tough to be a seller um people are able to pick and choose what they want. But uh, another program that I wanted to talk about, which just was implemented and brought in this year, was the uh, First Home Savings Account. So this is a brand new account that started in April. Uh, Some institutions were able to offer it in mid-June, as early as mid-June, I believe. Uh, And some are still working to get it operational. But this this is a great account. And people who are 18 years and older are able to open this. And you can have a maximum annual contribution of $8,000. And I would like to emphasize that this does start the year you open it. So even if you aren't going to fund it this year in 2023, I still do recommend that you open it because you you get to carry that room forward one year. So if you open it this year in 2023, in 2024, you'll have $16,000 of room. Versus if you just don't open it this year. So there's only a month and a bit left in this year. So if you don't open it in 2023, 2024, you're only going to have 8,000 in room. And then subsequent, you're going to have further years. You're not going to be able to contribute because it's not going to carry forward because you wasted that one year of not opening it. So even if you're not going to fund it, I still recommend that you go and open it just so you do uh, create the capability of having the full amount. So the lifetime amount that you can contribute to this plan is $40,000 and it's going to work like a TFSA and an RSP. So all contributions they're going to be tax deductible. Uh, so that's how it works like an RSP and it's it's so I would suggest though that you do uh, know that you have to contribute that year. So an RSP you have to contribute before the end of February the following year to get a tax deduction for the previous year so you could contribute to an rsp before the end of february for 2024 for your 2023 income uh, unfortunately um the government likes to confuse people sometimes and maybe 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 just for fun but <laughs> the, uh, the the fhsa the first home savings account you need to contribute before december 31st to get a det- for your uh, year's income. So you need to contribute before December 31st, 2023 to get a 2023 tax deduction. So it's not going to work like an RSP 60-day contribution. So that's another reason to get it in before the end of 2023 if you do want to get that tax deduction for this year.
2: So, yeah, and just, just to make that point one more time, Mitch, it's, it's very odd that there's no carryover for these type of things. So if you have, a say, a newborn in an RESP, The day they start, if you miss the first year, no problem. You can catch up for the second year. You don't didn't have to open an account that first year. This program, you actually have to open an account, and uh, so like you as you mentioned, even if you just open the account, put in. I don't know if you have to put any money in. uh, You put in a dollar, I suppose. But I guess you don't need to put any money. It allows you to double up the following year. So just just for the listeners, just to make sure they heard that right, because that's extremely unusual.
3: Well, that's why I want to do it for this show today, is because there is only a month and a bit left in the year, and it's it's confusing with all these different accounts and all these different deadlines. Uh, how do you keep track? And that's why we have us to listen to, as well <laughs> as hopefully a financial plan, uh, telling you that you should be opening this first home savings account before this end of the year, even if it's not, even if you're not going to fund it. Because then at least next year, you can carry forward that room. And if you come into $16,000, you can put $16,000 in next year. Uh, it's going to get you a tax deduction of 16000 which you can carry forward. You don't need to use it for that year. So it's it co- it, it's similar like the RSP that you, you can contribute. You don't have to use it for that year of deductibility. You can carry that forward. So even if you're not going to use the FHSA this year, you should still be opening it. Um, just to create that room. And another another good point for opening it this year is that the room's going to be listed on the notice of assessment. So just to get that ball rolling, to have it on your notice of of assessment is also something beneficial to have going forward uh, for your financial planning benefits as well, especially if you work with a planner. I know we go through those every meeting. So Mm -hmm. definitely open that up this year.
1: We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. Call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905 972 7420. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming right back.
0: You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified,
1: We should be popping the champagne here. It's financial literacy month. Christmas has come early. Yeah. How good
2: is that? I'm sure everybody's been waiting for this announcement and, oh, can't wait. November, look at us go. And, you know, just to go back to what Mitchell was mench- mentioning, it's uh, that first time homebuyer's tax credit, that 5000 It did. It was all the way back in 2009. had a chance to Google that uh, during the break. So yes, it, it in in 2009 and finding 22, it went to ten thousand. Now it sounds great, by the way, ten thousand dollar tax credit. How good is that? Um, in your pocket, it is fifteen hundred dollars.
3: That's okay. what they cap. That's what they cap it out at.
2: Yeah, that's actually because it's uh, it's a federal program, and it's at the fifteen percent tax bracket. It's a credit, not a deduction. So the provincial governments aren't involved in this. It's only the federal side. So you only get that end of it. It's fifteen hundred bucks is nothing to sneeze at, but it doesn't quite sound as good as that ten thousand dollar tax credit.
3: And also most many people are buying houses as a team, hu- husband, spouse, whatever. You can only use ten thousand per couple. It's not per person. That's
2: a great point. Yeah. And that's so you common law or not. Uh in which almost, yeah, that. That one's is one of the rare ones where you can't join, join benefits on a first time purchase. Usually, a hu- husband and a wife or common law partner, um, you get if it's both first time, they both get to have the first time uh, home buyer savings plan. They both are used to have the home buyer's uh, RSP withdrawal limits. All this stuff was always per person, um, but in this particular case, not so much. And I guess the only there. The wing I don't know—you really know if there's a way to get around that one. So anyway, it is what it is. <laughs> and uh, $10,000 credit at the federal level, $1,500 in your pocket. These all add up. So these are all benefits. They add up. its They are trying to make it easier. But I can't say enough. If I was a first-time homebuyer right now, um, particularly with the announcements of interest rates seem to be peaking um, with the inflation now at 3.2 in the U.S., I, I would definitely be looking and certainly be
3: shopping, right?
2: Yeah, for sure. And it's kind of interesting when the market was hot, this is human nature. When the market was hot, the prices were up 25% where they are right now for many, many houses and everybody wanted to buy. So the prices are higher. I know interest rates were lower, but so much so they would beg, borrow, they borrow from their parents. They would go everywhere trying to get this house. They would get in early inheritances and all of a sudden, oh, you know what prices are now cheaper. I know the interest rates are higher. It is definitely a time to be looking now. And this is the time where you should be actually saying, okay, there's some decent deals to purchase. And not now you can have a condition. I'm gonna buy it, but it'll be on condition of financing. It'll be condition on inspection. It'll be condition on whatever you want, <laughs> okay? And there was no conditions before. You basically, you had to buy it and you you couldn't have a condition when you made an offer on a house before because you would just lose lose the bid.
3: Yeah, the, con- the condition was that you outbid the other person and had no
2: conditions. <laughs> yeah, and, exactly. And, and, and
3: you closed really quickly.
2: Yeah, and and you got in and out as quick as you could and cash on the barrel hit almost. It was so, it was it was a frenzy. And, and to what you're service.
1: and to what you're saying, Don, I'm starting to see more for sale signs go up on properties. Just driving around, I you know I don't know if that's coincidence or, but you, you're starting to see things move.
2: Yes, you are. And on top of that, and I know this isn't a real estate show, but the home is the biggest purchase you'll probably make in your life. And you know what? To be honest, a lot of our clients have now saved way more money over the years because they've been listening to our advice for 30 some odd years. So the home is actually their second largest asset, but it is a massive purchase. And so- I mean,
3: how many, I mean, how many people ahead. have like a million plus dollar investment loan? Like it's leveraged, right? Like if you buy a million dollar house, you put 20% down and that's, what's the difference of, of that? Putting $200,000 and having a thousand dollars of an investment loan. Right.
2: Yeah, that's a, an excellent point. We don't think twice about saying, okay, I got a car loan, and that was for fifty thousand dollars. Okay. Okay, I got a, a house loan. I put down five percent and I'm and I'm borrowing seven hundred thousand dollars and at the whim of whatever interest rates are. And but I, oh, it's it's the Canadian way to do things. And one of the things I will be talking about is it better to rent or to buy? But you know what? There is a lot of programs there. And the best thing I do think about a home ownership, it forces people to save. If there's one benefit, because they have to make a mortgage payment and they can't blow the rest, they can't blow the mortgage payment or they get kicked out of the house. So it's a lot of things. And again, this is where financial literacy is so important. You need to have some, understand the terms, the interest rates, how effective is it? What is your payment? What about, you know what's your debt service ratio on a house? You know all these type of things, and as as it is um, right now, financial literacy month, so many areas, and we do have listeners come up to us and say, you know Don, yeah, I love your show, Mitch, love the show, Jay, Gary, love the show, but I find it maybe a little too confusing at times, and we we deal with this every day. So these are the. This is this is our sweet spot. This is what we do for a living, and we try to make it as understandable as we can. But there's a lot of terms. This is not, this it's not it's not legalese, but financial planning ease, if you will. Okay, it's if that's a word. It's there is a language to it, and trying to understand how money works. So first thing is, you know, if you're looking at how do we, how do we manage the money we have. Well, the extremely the first starting point. You can't manage money if you don't have any money. Okay, you got to start spending less and saving some. That's the help. That's the start of a foundation of of investing money. You have to start saving. Very simple. Spend less than you make, and it can't. And literally, there has to be some cash at the end of the month. But we all, you know, we I've we dealt with many people that have different ways to do this. Everybody has a system. I'm not really picky on the system they use just save okay so you know i some people are tracking every penny and they have to, and they save some money others kind of just okay we need to do this um and they maybe just pay themselves first
3: it, so it is lot- important to it is important to budget right like that's something really important for financial literacy knowing how much you're making how much you're spending and there's a lot of great apps out there that are making this pretty streamlined. I know TD for one, the My Spend app, they, I believe just incorporated it right into their, their TD uh, phone app, which has actually been pretty interesting. Um, so you can see how much you're spending comparatively to other months, where it's going. And so it is nice that institutions are putting this into place to just, so people can be aware of where they're spending their money and how much it's costing them, right?
2: Absolutely, and I, it's kind of interesting. I was going through uh, some of the apps, and one is actually just simply by the Canadian Federal Consumer Watchdog. Uh, is a tool there. You hit this link. If anybody's interested in this, I'd be happy to send it to you. And it basically is a budgeting tool. It even comes with graphs and everything else. It's free from the government. You don't have to have a 14-day trial before you have to buy the whole enchilada. This is actually a, a tool that the government Um, is trying to get you to try at the end of the day it's just finding a system and keeping track of your money so you know some people really thrive on the strict discipline of a budget i would say that is a rarity that is the exception to the rule most people find it's it's just not fun okay and they may try it for a while it's kind of like it's kind of like a diet, or try to do a new workout program. We'll try it, didn't like it in the last a week or two. But it's finding uh, it's finding the right system. Yes, Mitch. Well,
3: only I, I was looking at a poll recently, and only sixty percent of of Canadians admit to having a personal or monthly budget. Wow.
2: Yeah, and that's that's amazing. And and so there there is the kind of the very disciplined budgeting tools, but you can also you know, dumb it down. You don't have to add every category. You don't have to say, I got a Tim Hortons category. Okay, you can have, you can start off with simple ones. Um, discretionary, non-discretionary, there's two. What is the stuff you need to spend money on? And we'll start writing them all down and what it costs. And what are the things you don't have to spend money on? Now, and, and you gotta really be truthful here do I need to go to this wedding? Okay, I'd love to go to this wedding. It's going to cost me $500, but they add up. It's not a necessity saying literally, I think <laughs> the way weddings are going these days, and I can get sidetracked here, but boy, there's a lot of money being spent on people who well, wedding parties and engagement parties and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, it's a lot of dough at the end of the day. And you know, for kids trying to save for their first house, they're getting this plus all this going on at the same time. So
3: Yeah, especially when you have 10 weddings to go to and you're spending like two to three grand a year on weddings.
2: Oh, you know, that could have been used for the helping the down payment on a home. I know it's, you got to really say, you know, I've got so many weddings and try to make a case for it. But I think that is one of the things gotten a little out of hand. Um, I don't know about you, Scott, but there was a day where you just had a stag and uh, I don't know. They threw a few games in there and hopefully you came out. Watch you what you even. say.
1: Watch what you say there, Don. Where are you going here? And don't drag me into it. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Come on, Scott. Let's hear it.
2: Yeah, <laughs> it was really OK. We, they rented a place. They played some poker or whatever, some some gambling games and hopefully some draw prizes, a Texas Mickey or anything else. And hey, well, wow, you end up with a few hundred bucks at the end to show for it. You know, that might have been it back in the day. They've, they've certainly evolved. Um, but anyway, another way of saving is just money buckets. And say, okay, here's my four or five money buckets and have one for savings. Have one for, say, that getaway down the road. Have one for your rent. And, and, and so you have some, again, going back to what's discretionary, what's non-discretionary. The problem with these money buckets is usually people use bank accounts for this. And it would say, well, that's my vacation bank account. That's my, well, they end up charging a lot of fees. So you do have to watch that. So you may want again, as Mitch mentioned, try using an app. And a lot of the apps, um, basically, you're getting bots to do some of your work for you these days. And they'll have access to your bank account. And they will funnel where all your spending is.
3: Yeah, and, and another thing on that is that a great way to avoid, missing payments or causing issues is just to have them automated um, just to have them. So that it's automatically coming out of those accounts instead of you having to remember, uh, I know credit card, like months go by really quickly and <laughs> next to all your credit <laughs> card bills do. Like, oh, I didn't realize that. So just having these automated coming out of your bank account, out of your credit card, whatever um, you prefer, but just making sure they're automated so that you're not missing payments as well and causing unneeded interest for no reason.
2: God, isn't it nice to hear a a 31-year-old saying months go by very quickly? (laughs) You know, it's
1: funny you talk about saving and and having the discipline to do that. On on what Mitch was just saying, you know, uh, if if there's money there, you're going to take it, you're going to use it on things, Uh, especially in today's day and age, it just gets burnt up. So if you don't have it going somewhere, whether it's a pre-authorized check or or something, you know, taking off the top every month to help this. I mean, you got to structure savings. You just can't do it willy nilly. It has to be a part of the plan.
2: It does. And these are, and what you're actually saying here, Scott, these are what they call money traps. You know, you if you don't have it put away on a disciplined basis somewhere, they it the money will find a spot. Yeah. It just won't be. You just won't own it anymore. So it's it's finding out. Okay, expect the unexpected. Uh, one example was weddings, as we mentioned. That is actually one of the ones that popped up. So that's why I wanted to bring that up. So expect that there will be a wedding and almost say, okay, if you're at this age, you should have a wedding fund. Because if you don't know about it yet, there will be one to be there. So budget for a wedding. Um, impulse spending. You know what? If you've got a problem with online shopping accounts, erase your credit cards from it. It's so easy to spend money. So easy. You got Amazon a couple of clicks and it's at your door. Like it is, it used to be a little harder. At least you had to go visit a store, a boxing day sale or what have you. Now you don't even have to leave your kitchen. So, and so, and you some know, of
3: those purchases are automated now. You can subscribe and you can actually save like 3 to 5% on the purchase of that. As, as long as you get it as a monthly automated purchase, like dog food or or something else, toilet paper, whatever, Amazon will automate all those purchases for you now so that they're automatically coming. You don't have to remember to shop for it. So those could be automated and you might not even need them or they might be accumulating. So maybe dialing back and actually seeing something of how much you're spending and if you actually need to anymore uh, could be something to do.
1: I wondered Absolutely. why I have this room overflowing with paper towels
2: and toilet paper. What the heck's going <laughs> on here? Is there another pandemic coming? Uh, <laughs> it is so easy. And you got to think if you're spending money on non-discretionary items, that means you're not saving it. Okay, very straightforward. I know it sounds it's not rocket science here, but you think about the purchase and that's why it's nice to have that like I'll, I'll think about it over the weekend kind of mentality cuz by the time Monday comes rolling around you know what? I really don't need that anymore. And you just saved yourself whatever that purchase was. Um, it, and there's still, you know, funny enough, you can still use cash. And it, and it is harder. Is Put it this way. It's a lot easier to spend money when you simply use a credit card. Because oh, I'll just get it later. So if you use a debit card for an account, you have to have money in there. So that's one way to force you to save. Um, cash still funny enough is still accepted some places (laughs) there's less and less places cash is um but anyway um automate your automate your bill payments the one bill payment as you mentioned scott you must put in your save is is a savings bill payment i owe scott thompson x amount of dollars every month you know what you got to pay yourself first and if you do that your lifestyle will fall afterwards. And so if I had to give one advice from a financial literacy start, I know we're going to continue on this subject. It's pay yourself first. So budget around your savings. And now the next step is how much you need for long-term, how much, and I would call that retirement, how much for middle-term. And this would be safe for saving for a house or some major purchase. And how much for an, an emergency fund or shorter term. And that would be say, okay, I'm saving for a vacation in six months or something like that. Break it up and then you can do automated savings, not just automated spending. We are planning your financial
1: future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at DonFox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. A quick break here. We're coming back.
0: You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.
1: We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. Find out more at DonFox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. It is Financial uh, Literacy Month. We're passing out our d'oeuvres. And uh also talking about uh, first time home buyer opportunities
3: here. Oh, please save some cream puffs for me. All right. <laughs> <laughs> uh so financial literacy month, we've all been waiting for this, like Don mentioned. But what what is financial literacy? I know we hear about it, it's kind of a buzzword to some people and they say, Yeah, we need to have more of it. But what what is it really? So financial literacy is the ability to understand and effectively use various financial skills including personal financial management budgeting and investing so when you're financial literate you have the foundation of a relationship with money and it comes with learning your entire life uh, just throughout this one show we've talked about things that have changed throughout the years so and new accounts that have come into play so if things are constantly changing Maybe monthly, maybe annually. I look at the last few years. They're implementing a new account, the first home savings account, uh, as well as the buyer's amount from 2009 increased from 5,000 to 10,000 just in that amount of time. So things are constantly changing. So you want to financial literacy isn't just you learn it and then it's set it forget it and you already know it. It's changing all the time, and it has a huge importance in the modern society. So lacking financial literacy can be really damaging to anyone's long-term financial success. And it's very common for people to actually think that they are literate in finance. um, But in in most cases, people really probably aren't as literate as they seem to be. So uh, some stats that I found were that seven out of 10 Canadians consider themselves to be financial literate. Close to 30% don't consider themselves to be in that category at all. I find 7 to 10 to be actually pretty high. I, I personally don't think that if I was to line up 10 people on the street that they're going to all have a budget, especially considering we did mention in the previous segment that only 60% of them have a budget. So how are 7 seven out of 10 of them financially literate, but only 60% of people have have a budget? So that means that most people, a lot of people are just going willy nilly and hoping for the best in terms of their budgeting. Uh, I don't find that to be very financial literate. But digging into further detail found that one in five people or 21% said they are very financial literate, while another 50% said they're somewhat financial literate. So 21% of people think that they they know it all and i could actually see that being pretty accurate um especially i mean in our industry i certainly hope that you are financial literate um yeah, but, particularly the listeners of this show yeah and it, and it I mean, is
2: it is interesting when we actually get to see some of our our listeners they are they they definitely have a notch above in terms of literacy they know what they're looking for they have a lot of great questions and part of it is knowing what questions to ask uh-huh. but if you're not literate you don't even know where to start
3: One hundred percent. Our listeners, they're incredible about what they actually retain from our shows, because I know we come on here on a weekly basis and we're constantly changing topics. But listeners are able to really bring to our attention a show from four weeks ago and still remember and learn. So I I love hearing that. It's great to see from our constant listeners of people retaining and becoming more financial literate just from things that we're we're saying on the show. So I do love that. Um, most pe- A lot of people are asked to find, uh, self-assess how financial literate they are based on their understanding of how various financial instruments work. Only 45% consider themselves literate with, with any of them. And only 15% consider themselves financially literate when it comes to life insurance, investments, and stocks. So only 15% consider them literate with the actual um, uh, investment part of their portfolio. So that means that many of them, 85% of them, are having to reach out and get assistance, which is great, as you should be, because uh, not being financial literate in that area will come with many pitfalls. Um, You could be putting high-risk stocks into your TFSA, for example, and losing your entire TFSA room because you don't know that you're going to lose that entire TFSA room. And that's just one example. There's many pitfalls to not being financial literate, and they can be very detrimental to your long-term plans in terms of... uh, Go ahead.
2: And one, it's, it's kind of interesting. Sometimes they know just enough to be dangerous, if you will. And, and the, the TFSA is just one great example of that. You know, they, they'll put money in thinking, okay, well, I could, their mindset is at least when I put this $10,000 in, it can grow to a million or $100,000, call it, because it's in such a great investment. And they're thinking only on the upside. Um, and they're thinking it's all tax-free. They don't know the other side. So they're shocked. Some of these people are shocked when it says, well, it went to zero, but they didn't realize that they now lost that, that $10,000 of tax-free savings account room. And on top of that, they don't get a capital loss when they lose money. So you can't have it both ways. So we've seen many clients that have literally lost almost all their tax-free savings account room, which is currently at at $88,000. And that's, a, that's just not even compounded where most of our clients that have added monthly to the, or yearly to their TFSA. They're sitting with about 120 to 140,000 in their tax-free savings account. You know, kind of the um, tortoise versus the Hare kind of mentality. They're just plugging along, making money, averaging say 5 to 7% and doing very well. And so at the end of the day, they end up with a lot of money and they're not taking these big risks. It's not sexy, but they get to the finish line, they end up they end up winning.
3: And and then TFSA is such an important account. Like it's the only tax it's one of the only tax free probate free uh, vehicles that you have and to blow the the total account room is just a total waste of opportunity uh, by doing that. Um, So definitely doing that to your TFSA would be very detrimental, especially if you're trying to create an estate plan for any of your kids. having it in a non-registered with, with capital gains versus having it in your TFSA would be a major difference in terms of uh, your estate tax so making sure you're not doing that is something that you should be doing
2: so I think it's it's when it comes to financial literacy I guess it's it's knowing enough to ask the right questions but and not being in the case where you don't know what you don't know so this is where a financial planner makes a big difference and this is why having a financial planner by your side by your side the average person, at least 50% difference in net worth. We have, or we are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson.
1: Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Another quick break here. We're coming back.
0: You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.
1: We are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. Call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. All right, we're uh, celebrating Financial Literacy Month. The hors d'oeuvres are almost gone. Who wants the last couple there?
3: Oh, let's let let's let the good times
1: roll, right? I'm
3: not I mean, sure. So.
1: I'm not sure about that egg there. I think it might have passed. But you guys go uh, ahead. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, too funny! Well, uh, there was an interesting stat that I did want to share. It was a TD Bank survey actually that last year uh, they found that 33 of Canadian parents were not confident they were setting a good financial example for their children. And this this is a big stat to me, and it reminds me of the TV. Co- commercial I'm not sure which it might be RBC and it's it's a great commercial and it's uh the kids are asking their parents just random things uh, and they're answering them answering them as they should be and then they ask them a financial question anything about money and they quickly change the subject and it's really just outlining how these discussions their parents do not want to have this and it's tough for them to have it and they're not setting a good example for their kids for the real world and really giving them a base as to stuff that they really should know. And one thing that I did want to point out here is that um, high schools are starting to implement more financial literacy, which is incredible. Uh, I've been hoping for this for a long time and I wish that they had it more when I was in high school. I wish I knew more about how taxes worked and how to save money and grow so I would start younger and have more of an understanding. Uh, I know I'd use that a lot more than uh, the clarinet or any sort of art class that I was doing back then because I'm definitely not using that. <laughs> or, or you could
2: have simply listened to
3: the conversation at the kitchen table. <laughs> <laughs> I was I mean, having I was a financial you, planner there. You, you, you couldn't hear. You couldn't clarinet, hear any of that. Yeah, head. you
1: couldn't
2: hear any of that for the
3: clarinet. It was way I was too loud. I was, I was upstairs doing some painting or practicing my clarinet. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so you know what? And that's kind of interesting. You mentioned that because most financial literacy is learned behavior from their parents. And that you see this in the uh, in the states um, where you know there's third and fourth generation welfare recipients, because what do they talk about at the table? Probably things on you know, not how to improve themselves financially, um, versus people that are doing well. They're having different conversations. So absolutely, your parent parenting you are teaching your kids and your grandkids about money management, whether you know it or not. So this is why it's so important. To have financial literacy, and there's so many categories, and there's this great uh, booklet, forty-seven page booklet, lots of pictures. So Scott, if you want to pick it up, it's not a problem. <laughs> anyway, is it's, it? Uh... it... Oh,
1: never mind. I'll leave it at that.
2: <laughs> it is five <laughs> segments on fa- financial literacy. First one was how to manage money. Second was to get to know your debt. Third, investing, and in how to make your money make money. Uh, fourth was renting versus buying. And finally, fi- the fifth was how to disaster prove your life. So, and I, we'll, we'll be discussing these here on the show, but it's a it's a great um, newsletter um, done by the Globe and Mail. But I got to say, there is so many ways to get information, good information. And this is actually very good information, basic, but good. And so it's good to start from the very start. And the one that I, I think is holding a lot of people back is getting to know your debt and Debt is so easy to get. Commercials are, are about getting into debt. Basically, if you have to borrow for anything, a car, a house, you're getting into debt. And starting at the ground zero, simple interest is simply, you know, if let's say on a $10,000 loan you paid 5% interest, you're going to pay $500 in the year. By year three, it would be 1500 It's not added to each other. Compound interest, on the other hand, is the same $500, but then it's interest on top of interest. So this happens when you don't pay your loan payments and you're getting interest on top of interest. You're actually seeing people right now doing this because their interest rates have gone so much, so high on the variable rate mortgages that they're not even paying the interest. So they're being charged interest on top of their interest right now. Um, This one here, absolutely drives me crazy is the hidden interest or they call it something else they'll call it a fee and where are you finding this a lot these days and i know scott you you know it's my my affinity for these institutions hmm. is the money markets of the world these payday loans where they don't even call it interest they'll just call it a it's it's a fee i don't understand how they get away with this personally when you say well we're charging you three dollars on a hundred as a service fee. And you have to pay us back in two weeks. Well, two weeks is 26, there's 26 two week periods and three times that you're now over 75% interest if you keep letting it compound. So if you, and what happens a lot in these institutions, you pay it off and you get another one right away because you really didn't pay it off. It's a continual loan. So very important to look at this credit cards You're ranging from about 18 to 26% on credit cards. So important to look at your repayment length, your prepayment um, privileges. Some of them even there may even be a fee if you pay it off early. And uh, you certainly see that in mortgages. Um, So you, you need to know all the areas and this is where having the right person by your side to guide you through debt is just as important as having that financial advisor by your side guiding you through savings. And, and truly, a financial planner is doing both. And there's a lot more that we do, as you know, listening to the show. But on very quickly, having debt and saving money, two ends of the spectrum, but they can be married together. And it's, it's finding the right solution to make it work. We
1: have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox have been here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Another award-winning show, gentlemen. Thanks so much. And we'll see you next
3: week. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Mitch. Thanks, Scott. Have a great day.
0: The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.
1: 911. 911. 911. What's your emergency? Ah, I'm on a cruise ship! Ah, there was an explosion! Oh my God, the ship is sinking! I can't get out! There's water everywhere! We're going!